September 3rd, this is, and you are listening to an emergency episode of the LA podcast. Not really an emergency, more of like a stock taking of the weird, totally unexpected train wreck that was the end of uh, the state legislature's COVID season. There's an asterisk (laughs) next to this one for sure. And it is, it was really ugly. Guys, was it totally unexpected, though? Would you say unexpected? I was. I managed to word. be. I managed to be surprised. I was expecting. <laughs> I was expecting bad, but this was bad in a different way, and also was yeah. I would. I would say surprising in the way that it managed to to be a letdown. I. I don't know. Remember it's how not- we? Remember how we had the the May massacre last mm-hmm. year, mm-hmm. right? So it was delayed. That, that was PG. Compared yeah, to, and that's what I'm oh, saying. Yeah. Like, so we need not only a it's like a different name, but like it was August that bled into September, so it was like <laughs> even gorier. Yes. It was really, really bad. So we decided to all get to get. Not only was it bad, it was also extremely confusing. So we wanted to help people make sense of the way that a wide variety of state legislators failed millions of Californians at the end of August here earlier this week. So we are, we're going to recap some of the things. I mean, Alyssa was was in our group chat, just like blind with fury at a lot of this stuff. So we're going to talk about the things that made us lose our sight from pure emotion. Basically, that's, that's I have what a our- name. For for this one, it's not the May massacre, but so it happened when August became September, right? Yeah, right. So this yeah. was the September to remember sales event when <laughs> the California they sold out the entire state of California. <laughs> I mean, I think go we'll with that it. as an episode <laughs> title. Really good. Uh, the entire good. paragraph would be great. Okay, l- all right. Let's 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 get into what what happened. So as as we were tipping, August thirty first is the end of the legislative session. State legislature, they have a strange calendar to your sessions. So the the session that we're talking about right now actually began at the beginning of twenty nineteen, and it's just wrapping up now doesn't go to the end of the calendar year. Legislators have kind of, they they have a schedule that's like pockmarked with all of these recesses. And then they come back end of August and they say, okay, it's time to crack our knuckles and, and actually get down to the business of passing hundreds or more bills and getting them to the governor's desk. So and just to, for anyone who's really new to this, the California state legislature has two houses, just like our federal government. There's the state Senate, which has 40 members, and the state assembly, which has 80. And they both are simultaneously kind of going through this literally last second process to pass bills of life or death consequence yeah. for... 40 million people. 
You know what I found out the other day, Hayes? Vermont's lower house, Vermont's House of Representatives alone has more representatives than both houses in California combined. What? 150. Anyway, wow. That's what? just something I found out. <laughs> something to think about as that's, we get into this. That's too many. It, I mean, that's, it might be. To some extent, though? I think that's on Vermont. I mean, each, there must be a middle ground. Each one of them represents 4,000 people. So I don't know. May, maybe too many. Anyway, we definitely don't have that problem here. So the reason why we're doing this is because end of every session, like Alyssa is saying, this, this, it's not totally a surprise that they are going to try and cram in as many votes, floor votes. So like the federal government, in order for a bill to become a law, you've all seen Schoolhouse Rock. It needs to get passed in the same version from both houses and then be signed by the governor. August 31st at midnight, that was our drop dead date for when bills needed to be passed by both houses. That's going to be very important here because that didn't happen in a lot of high profile cases. There were three, I would say, really big, really big items that we want to get into. Three big flagpoles that the 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 legislature was like, you know, judge the success or failure of this session based on how we handle one covid big deal. We need to we have a been hearing about this. Been hearing yeah. more and more about this <laughs> this novel coronavirus. Uh so we have a patchwork of regulations that are intended to to protect tenants, to protect businesses. The state was sort of the beneficiary of a judicial council ruling, non-legislative emergency ruling that suspended evictions. That, however, was expiring actually the same day. So at, at on September 1st, judicial council goes away. There needs to be some kind of law covering COVID and evictions. Uh, second one would be housing. This is something we've been talking about for as long as we've done the podcast. The, the housing crisis, the affordable housing crisis, the homelessness crisis, all of these, the, the ability to get shelter and maintain a state of being sheltered in California is, is one that has been uh, fraught for many years in this state. So the legislature continues to try to end the, the housing and homelessness crisis here. And then third, policing, which of course became uh, a hot button issue, a really high priority issue following the May murder of George Floyd by Minneapolis police, which is not to say that there, there wasn't enough there for them to prioritize this before, but it became, of course, a, a, a national sort of conflagration in the, the public discourse at that point. So three, three issues and the legislature... God, I mean, how would you how would you describe the performance that we got for this session, guys? I I mean, the, so much of it seemed to like they there was this idea that they had been forced to do this at the very last second and there wasn't enough time. They kept talking about how there wasn't enough time to debate these things as if some unknown force other than themselves had had 
like gotten them to this, it like into this situation. Right. 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 Yeah. They like yep. made up these special rules where only two people could speak for and against where normally you could have, you know, I guess limitless chatter. And they, it, it did seem in, in some, some discussions, only like one person spoke, like in, in many cases, they did move through the, you know, bills at a fast clip, but it clearly didn't work because they couldn't even get through all the bills. And I, that's yeah. what I, I, that's what I couldn't understand is why were we waiting till the last minute? I mean, why? And then I heard there was a rule that we could go over a little bit, like they could like actually stop the clock. Right. This was, and I don't know uh, to, to, to be clear. This, what Alyssa's describing was in specifically the Senate, Senate Democrats. Of course, we have a super majority uh, from the democratic party in both of our houses of the legislature. So the democratic super majority in the Senate sought to limit debate so that they could, get as many floor votes as possible. Again, like you guys are saying, this is this deadline is it's not that it's artificial, but yeah, the the crisis really was sort of artificial. I think there are there are a lot of people who like see people complaining on Twitter about for example, Congress going on vacation for a month or the legislature taking off for a month in the middle of the pandemic and sort of just say like oh, well, that's the natural uh, course of this business. But when you look at like the the state legislature taking a month off and then returning to Sacramento and leaving like almost all of its highest priority items incomplete, it does feel and not and not just like they voted on them and they failed in a vote, but like things not even coming up for a floor vote um, complete chaos, certain things getting passed and seeming like they were going to go to the governor only to find out that there needed to be a concurrence vote because the two houses had passed different versions of the bill and there wasn't enough time for the other house to, to vote on it. That seems like such a catastrophic failure that you do sort of look at that and go like, well, what about all that extra time that you had back in the month of August where you just decided that you were going to cool your heels for a bit in Orenda or wherever the fuck you're from. I mean, like it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't reflect well on their, their capacity. I do want to talk or about, or does it, or does it, yeah, or does it, or is this an entirely intentional, like this is all by design. All these rules are fake. Like when sure. they like when they debate about this, how much they debate, how much more time they have. The governor can convene a special session if he wants. And if this were something that the that the legislature really wanted to do, it would happen. There are bills that passed both houses and would easily yeah. have so bills that passed the Senate and then passed the assembly and then had to go back to the Senate where they would have easily passed, but they didn't make it by like two minutes. Yeah. If Gavin Newsom wanted to set up a hour long special session to get these things approved by the Senate so they could go to his desk, it would happen. Yeah. But they do not. They did this on purpose. Well, let's let's talk about what exactly they did on purpose. So so our 
our three areas that we want to buckets. talk about. Yeah, our three buckets. Evictions. We have evictions, housing, and policing. The first one is the only thing that actually got, basically, the only thing that really got across the finish line the at the end of session was a bill called AB 3088. And this was the compromise bill that is intended to uh, set a state framework for um, how evictions can proceed during COVID, during the next, let's say, like six months or so. And this, again, was necessitated by the Judicial Council, the the court circuit in the state of California's decision to withdraw their eviction, which had been in place for the first six months of the pandemic. So AB 3088 adds an almost unbelievable level of complexity to what was already, I mean, as a tenant, just an impossible situation trying to figure out what your status and standing is as it regard as it regards your duty to pay your rent as stipulated in your lease. So AB 3088, which I mean Gavin Newsom was a part of brokering this compromise and I think was again tra- compromise with who I want to say. Yeah, with I mean Democratic no, supermajority. There's no compromise. It's I mean, there is, though, right? Like, because the Democratic Party is not... The California Democratic Party is a weird sort of thing. It It's it's mostly people who identify their politics as not being Republicans, right? I feel like that's true in California as much as it is nationally. Yeah, I'm... Well, I, I don't think these are necessarily, like, internal conversations for i mean like i'm sure they are but they're conversations with special interests like which like you know like some of the democrats in the assembly are more bought than others by the california the california apartment association the landlords lobbying group but that they're just the, the like the the assembly members are just the intermediary between these lobbying groups these special interests and the people who are actually trying to get this done for 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 residents yep. and, and how many of them are landlords too that yeah. are legislators but like couldn't the governor could have also done an executive order just mm-hmm. his his own he didn't we didn't need to to do that and we didn't need to put people through i think what i was really concerned about was the stress there was this yeah. incredibly terrifying article by matthew desmond that came out in the new york times like two days before this vote and it, like, I, you know, the whole country is on edge and we'll talk about that in a second. But like people having their lives torn apart and the incredible amount of stress and worry of waiting until the last fucking minute to make a decision. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody needs to be put through that. And not and not only to till the last minute, but until a point in time where I mean, I, I guess, it, yeah, because it's the last minute you're you're waiting until a point in time where there literally can be you're 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 bargaining from a position now where nobody can even make good faith arguments against what you're doing because now you're saying it's this or nothing yeah. it's this or a free for all and that's why they did it right like that's why yeah, and it's, everything was yeah it seems really easy on 
August 31st. So the eviction eviction bill that, that ends up passing is one that says that starting, I think, at the end of this month, tenants are required to begin paying 25% of their rent to their landlords. The other 75% of the rent remains unevictable until January 31st. There are like weird metering protections, I think, on like how many uh, evictions can proceed at a time. There's a totally open question. I I mean, caveat that I'll come back to that in a second. But there is an open question at this point, which is how much of this affects cities and counties that have uh, enacted stronger protections locally? LA, we've been very critical of the LA City Council, but LA City Council actually has a stronger eviction ordinance, eviction protection ordinance than this one. Uh, LA says that you don't have to pay your rent back. You can't be evicted for non-payment of rent until the end of the local emergency period. Plus, you have 12 months following that to actually pay rent back. Again, it's not strong enough for tenants that need it the most, but it's also stronger than what the state passed. And the language of the state bill appears like it supersedes whatever is in place at the local level. So that is concerning. And I say it's only sort of an open question because city attorney Mike Fewer has actually already circulated a memo to city council members about the impact of the state, the new state law on their local ordinances, but it's a confidential memo. So if if you're a tenant in the city of LA, I guess you just have to roll a 20-sided die to decide what you're going to do next because there's Hopefully not Hopefully really- you're one of the tenants of a city council member who owns a rental property and they decide <laughs> they to know. they decide to tell you they know. Well they're um, having like a yeah they're having a campaign where they're going to like communicate the the you know what it your protections are from the state. So don't worry they'll be in an ad campaign that they're going to pay for to explain it. Herb Wesson III. We need to watch what he does with his <laughs> rent in the coming months. But then the, the other thing about this that it makes California's actions seem even more small and petty and kind of just flying in the face of the, the, the self-proclaimed progressiveness of, of the state legislature is that like 12 hours later, Donald Trump's CDC announced that they were uh, enacting a national eviction moratorium that is stronger and more robust than the one passed by California legislators. But that we don't get to be the beneficiaries of because we already did our own worst version. Yeah. And while there, while the one that the state passed does override the, the local ones, the one that LA had, the federal one does not override the state one. Any right. state any state that has their own eviction moratorium. So we get the worst of all possible worlds. It's it's really bad. And and Gavin Newsom, I mean, he was pretty much immediately roasted by tenant groups because this this protection bill that he was was saying was like the the stopgap that was going to stop people from falling into homelessness actually doesn't do that. It really opens people up to a lot of potential harm. 
So that was this. I mean, it doesn't sound like it from the way we're talking about it, but this is the sole legislative accomplishment of the evening for the state legislature. It's all they got was the eviction uh, bill. The one, I I think, semi-notable thing about it, in L.A., we never reclassified uh, rent debt as consumer debt, did we? think so no they talked about it but i don't think that they did i don't think they passed it that did happen at the state level and that will have theoretically some effect on evictions because that that if it's consumer debt that means that they can take you to small claims court over it you can file for bankruptcy over it but you can't like necessarily be evicted over that debt correct yeah Yes, yeah. I think that's yeah, that's one. So that will slow the the tide somewhat yeah, <laughs> in theory until your landlord just says, "Hey, you didn't pay your rent. I'm evicting you," and you don't know that that is not something that they are technically allowed to do. Right. Okay, so evictions that's taken care of. We can uh, on to the next one. Okay, yeah. what what time is it? Oh, okay. It's 1135. Okay. Let's, let's try and get these next two huge buckets in, in the next 25 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Everyone ready, go, ready, go. Okay. So the next one is housing, right? We want to make sure that we can actually provide sufficient, uh, housing for people to live in that there are, I mean, the the Senate, the state Senate's big goal was increasing housing production. This has been a, a major effort that the state legislature has tried to undertake for years and years and with mixed results. Tried? Okay, again, I mean... <laughs> Watch your language, Scott, because Hayes is just going to... The state legislature has tried to give the appearance that they've been working on it for years and years with mixed results. And that now we're in a a place where things basically immediately as soon as bills are proposed by a handful of legislators, they go on the hit list of livable California, which is sort of like the NRA for white people who happen to live in coastal California. And, (laughs) and, you know, they, and they try to just tank these bills as hard as they can. So this year was notable because Senate President Pro Tempore, Tony Atkins, former assembly speaker. She is a uh, a very well-respected legislator among her colleagues. She came forward and she was like, after the the failure of some of Senator Scott Wiener's bills from San Francisco over the past couple of years, saying that she was going to work with him to come up with a, a housing package that would get to the governor. So the Senate housing production package went down in flames this year with like, honestly, not a victory in the bunch, I don't think. We had five bills. Two of them failed before the end of the session. Three of them, we had uh, SB SB 995, that was by Tony Atkins. That was a CEQA streamlining similar to SB 35. It was like expanding that for housing developments that have affordable housing so that they can get built faster and people can live in them. This one died in the Senate where it came from after it passed the assembly and did not have time for a concurrence vote. We're definitely going to explain all of this. 
That was also the case for SB 1085 by Nancy Skinner, an expanded density bonus bonus bill. And SB 1120, another Atkins bill, this was the uh, very famous one, the duplex bill that would have an intent basically eliminated single family home housing, sorry, would have eliminated single family zoning in the state of California. In, in a That's, so if we have to keep that that screw up because if livable California is listening, they're, they're, they're going to feel like Scott just gave up the game that Good. the goal was to give up the, to eliminate, eliminate all single, single family, family housing, housing to force <laughs> everyone to just like immediately get at the wrecking <laughs> burn ball and down start. Look, I, I don't, I don't speak for Tony Atkins, but fuck it. Mask off. I don't care. <laughs> and let's remember too, I mean, or do we still have more to go through? Hold on. Are we, is that the, you have one more. I no, think, those, so these are the ones, these are, this is what, this is what the assembly was doing yes. when, the clock ran out. Alyssa, go for it. Well, I was going to say, remember this, this year, it was this year, it was 2020 that SB 50 was defeated in January. Can you remember back? I actually refuse to believe that. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense to me. And it it actually hurts me that you just said that. It seems impossible. And I am sorry to bring you this news at this time. But that was this year. And Tony Atkins gave this very passionate speech at the end of the close of that session, promising to get everyone to work together with the blessing of the governor. And we would get these things accomplished. And we would make sure that housing was a priority. And then... And that the governor's the governor's blessing, I mean, carries about as much weight as like a wet fart. I don't think that any of the legislators really seem to care what he says at all. He has no he has no sway over the legislative body whatsoever. And that's evidence in the, the third bucket that we're going to talk about in a minute. Well, let's talk about the housing bucket. So they actually made it a little easier for themselves by, I mean, like we talked about the May massacre last year. This was the the battle of the Somme for a how for the housing package. They had already killed so many of these by the time the last one got to the floor, which was SB eleven twenty, which was the duplex bill. This was a rare point of not unity, but uh, we've talked about the the fights between housing justice uh, groups and housing uh, production advocates, the Yimbies versus the Fimbies, essentially. The Yimbies really liked this duplex bill because it, it basically lets you take a single-family home and turn it into a duplex and split the lot if you want, so you can have two duplexes. But they're small. They have to be in the same proportions as the house that you could otherwise... the single-family home you could otherwise build there. So it's by definition a smaller, more affordable place than the, than the house that takes up the entire lot. And I know a lot of housing justice people were enthusiastic about the fact that you could maybe rent control a lot of these properties. Yeah. If you did it on a, on a house that was older than 1979, and you turned it into more rental units. Like you can on uh, additional dwelling units, the little uh, granny units, You those are rent controlled if it's in an old house. And so theoretically, these duplexes would be rent controlled as well. So they didn't really, the only people that cared was the NIMBYs and they absolutely like lost their shit never to recover it again. Yeah, this was next level. This was next level. 
and also there's so many restrictions on it. It was it's walled off to uh, historic preservation overlay zones and a lot of different kinds of fire zones. Like it was a pretty weak shit in terms of the housing production bill. We talked but, about so when we I mean God forbid that I go this far back, but when SB 827 was up, right? We we <laughs> talked about we 30 years ago. We talked about the the strategy which was a strategy that that Scott Weiner employed of staking out what he considered to be like the most extreme position and saying that, oh, from there, we'll tailor it in and we'll compromise. And we talked about at the time that that potentially would alienate potential allies we I don't know if we talked about this in particular, but it is definitely emboldened the like the reactionaries, like the the livable California groups that steal the language of housing justice advocates whole cloth in order to defend their own luxuriant lifestyles. Yes. They are like completely vibing right now. They like yes. they could not care less what gets proposed. Like I said earlier, if it's proposed by Wiener, if it's proposed by Atkins now, if it's pr- proposed by Lorena Gonzalez out of the assembly, they're going to oppose it like it is the coming apocalypse. It's there's there's right. no moderation anymore. So the, yeah, exactly. They seize the language of housing justice organizers. They that you heard them talk a lot about how there is no dedicated affordable housing in this deal. So if you build a duplex, you don't have to set the re- set the rents at a specific like affordable rate. So instead, what we have now that this bill is not happening is all you can build is a huge single family home. There are certainly no affordability protections in this process. No. And these same people, I'm not hearing today any objections with this current system that doesn't mandate any affordable housing at all, just lets you build a huge single family home. And that is what will happen now. This bill was always about the choice of, like, if flipping is going to happen, if a house is going to be converted into a new kind of property, it will either be converted into a new single family home or it will be converted into it, under this bill it could be converted into a duplex or even a larger version of the same yeah or yeah or even two duplexes yeah. it was never like oh i kind of like my house but now that i can make it into two duplexes i'm going to do that it is an option for redevelopment that now is purely limited to mansions bigger houses right yeah and, and i mean we can so we can talk about the way in which SB 1120 failed. Like you said, Hayes, if there were a special session, chances are it passes again easily because it, it did pass both houses. It passed uh, it passed the Senate where it was written. It passed the Assembly, but because they were in different versions and because it happened at 1157 on the last day of the session... There was no time to get the Senate the the final version of the bill so that they could vote on it in that period of time. Yes. Uh, now let's talk about why it failed specifically. It came up at like 11.35 p.m. And then this parade of, yes. of, of legislators All of a sudden there gets was up. debate. And I think there was more than... Was it two? I don't know. I couldn't keep track. But it was well, all was of a sudden... The, this was the assembly. 
Yeah. It, so they, it, didn't, oh, they right. didn't do that same thing. They didn't have the same rules. But, but so in the assembly, a bunch of people got up and wanted, had something to say about this bill. Like all, like they had been quiet all night and all of a sudden they were like, oh, this is why I'm here. Let me wake up. Not just quiet all night, quiet through the entire process right. of 1120 <laughs> being yeah, debated. Quiet through. <laughs> but now when we have 25 20. minutes to either pass this or not, along with, by the way, and a third bucket, we have now spent more time talking yeah. about this than it actually took to happen. <laughs> so there's a third bucket of related to accountability for policing, something yeah. that has sort of been in the news lately. So maybe this conversation could have been had uh, a month ago. Yeah. Like at, like at a point in time that it would allow for like uh, respect to actually be paid to, to people who are losing their lives to police violence. Yeah. yeah. Would, you, you would, you would yes. think that you would want to a lot more than negative two minutes for the discussion of like holding police officers accountable. Yeah. I so felt we had, yeah. I Go just, ahead. as someone watching this and again, yeah, you thought this was a very, it was a bill that had been talked about a lot. You would have thought that these people would have had their opportunity to say it or not say it or, or, you know, have a conversation. And it really did feel like a lot of these people wanted to get up and be like, look at me, I am saying something really important. And I hope you rich homeowner is, are hearing me right now because I'm doing this for you. <laughs> so we had this parade of legislators get up many from the LA area. Al Muratsuchi got up, said he was against 1120. Laura Friedman, friend of the show, normally an advocate for housing production, got up and talked about how it would increase fire risk out at Tahone Ranch, this place that we've talked about that is a million miles away. Chad Mays, an independent, like who cares? We like, should a, uh, caveat the Laura Friedman thing with the that that's not actually true, right? Like that, I think that was generally I, held not to be a place that the duplex bill would be. Yeah, I mean, there were all sorts of and and wouldn't there be? I mean, that's the other thing. Like it, it's clear if we make exceptions for all sorts of things that there'd be carve outs for things like putting housing in a dangerous area. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I we wouldn't even we don't want people to be building really. We, we shouldn't be building Tone Ranch anyway. We probably won't at this point. So it's fine. Yeah, sure. So, but, so put, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but of course, like the fire zones, the, you know, the wooey lands and everything, of course, you're not going to be out there splitting houses. Like it's, you know, we're trying to buy those out. We don't, we don't want people to live there. I mean, that, I think that was like, it was very shocking to hear that, which, which I, I did, I don't, which clearly came out of these very wealthy parts of Burbank and Glendale, I felt that have been fighting the yeah. ADU bill like crazy up there. Yes. I mean, it, yes, there is absolutely no doubt about it. This was because of political pressure from NIMBYs in her district. And the reason you know that is because if this were an issue that you were really concerned about, like getting carve outs for high fire risk areas, I heard people say like there are some loopholes over whether you can actually build these duplexes in high fire, very high fire risk zones. Which, like, yeah, we don't want more just housing say you in those Take care areas. of it. Yeah. If that was a real good Say thing, a month ago that this is a problem. And if we close these loopholes, you'll support it or not. Right now, it's 1153. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> like, you like to, to, and to, like to bring this up now is not only lowering the chance of this bill 
passing to like a, an objection that has no chance of being answered now because you decided to wait this long. It's also killing time for these other incredibly important. Yes. 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 So they vote. That takes a long time. It, like for some reason, it took a while for them to all like get together to vote on this fucking thing. And then it did eventually pass by, I think it had two votes to spare. But as we said, it was too late. And what's incredible to me is nobody seemed to know what the rules were. Like, like all these like people that work in Sacramento were like, it passed. Great. Like, this is exciting. Or it passed. Boo. Like, I didn't want this to pass. Not or at least claiming not to know that it never had any chance. Well, I think that the issue was that they didn't realize that it hadn't passed in an identical form to what had passed in the Senate. I assume that that was the case. But yeah, it, it was there was mass confusion. There was like a weird the L.A. Times I think was I mean, it was the LA Times or maybe it was Politico. Somebody included an anecdote about like a, an actual like live action replay of whether or not votes had gotten in under the wire or whatever. Just total madness. And one of the definite standout lowlights of the evening was the treatment by Speaker Anthony Rendon of LA of one of the assembly members in his caucus, Buffy Wicks of the East Bay, I believe Oakland, who is a new mother who was on maternity leave and was one of the sponsors, co-authors of of SB eleven, yeah, SB eleven twenty, and was told by the assembly speaker that she was not allowed to vote unless she actually went to the Capitol in person because they had, uh, they had identified and enumerated specific reasons for which an, a legislator was allowed to vote remotely. This was a big deal at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. They were not in session for a long time because there were no rules about how to do that. And the speaker interpreted that enumeration of voting uh, rules as saying that if you were on maternity leave, that you were not allowed to vote remotely. You had to be in person to vote. So Assemblymember Buffy Wicks went to the Capitol. I think she was alone there, right? Basically, she was alone. Well, except for her newborn child. Except for her newborn child, who she brought in tow as she spoke in favor of the bill that she co-wrote and so that she could vote for it. It does seem like, I I don't even know what the right word is. It's just incredibly disrespectful. And then uh, Speaker Rendon put out a he put out an apology he issued a press release apology kind of not say, first not first what did he say first, first first he said we made these rules strict for a reason about like to maintain <laughs> like the like the uh, the democracy with honor and being a new mother doesn't mean that you are covid vulnerable which means that you have to vote in person and then the hours later, he came out with a full-on apology. Still he came out with a full-on apology. Yeah, I agree with Alyssa. It was not a good apology. It, it's 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 short. Inclusive right. inclusivity and electing more women into politics are core elements of our democratic values. 
Nevertheless, I failed to make sure our process took into account the unique needs of our members. So it's kind of like, yeah, we wanted more women to be in politics, but we also forgot how needy you all are with your children and your breastfeeding, etc. Like, how how could I have forgotten? I mean, it's it's not a good apology. It was a very very gross look for for the assembly forcing Alyssa, like you said, the, the assembly member to risk her health and her child's health. But I mean, even t- so taking the COVID part out of it and the reason also that she was at higher risk was because Senate Republicans had had a party yep. to watch the uh, Republican National Convention that God. ended up one of the people got COVID and they all had to be quarantined anyway. So they, I assume they're just a bunch of, you know, very health minded (laughs) people who always wear their masks. So this is, I don't know how this could have happened, Mm -hmm. but they, the, you know, basic, basically they've turned the legislature into a cluster for, (laughs) for coronavirus because of their irresponsible behavior, but they all got to stay home. No questions asked. And if there had been any other kind of medical condition or any other kind of, you know, like just like they said, they didn't want anybody to abuse it. But it did kind of seem like it was like it it, it was specifically to cater to these people who had acted irresponsibly. But putting all that aside, yeah, I mean, yeah, that it sucks and it's, it'd be scary to be a you know new mom and bring your baby there. This baby is 36 days old on the day that they came to, she brought, you know, brought her to, brought her little girl to, you know, the center of government. When you are 36 days, not only are your boobs like oozing milk constantly, there is still like fluid coming out of your vaginal canal. Like you are someone Mm -hmm. who's supposed to be at home resting, taking care of yourself, taking care of your baby. You have to feed them every two hours during this time. So we need to let people vote who have children that came out of their bodies 36 days before a vote is taking place on the floor. Anyway, and I can't believe that this is something that we hadn't talked about before, that no woman in the assembly or senate has ever experienced before you've got people in like new zealand like breastfeeding their babies on the you know floor of their chamber of government um like it's totally a normal thing so when are we going to normalize being a mom in in california that's what i'm waiting for not in august maybe in september (laughs) (laughs) I, I like the Maybe for her next just child. As a last note on that. I like the speakers. Nevertheless, I failed as a counterpoint to nevertheless. She persisted. <laughs> nevertheless, I failed. <laughs> and this was shared. This got around. I mean, Hillary Clinton posted about it. it. It really got all over the place. And I think all of that was what sort of what led up to the decision to apologize for this. By and there was another bill she was there to vote yes. for. Two, which was SB 1383, which was extending the very generous family leave policy that we have in the state of California to smaller businesses. And before she, you know, she she's there to make that vote, too. Right. I mean, this is the irony. It was just like this, like looking at these two different worlds. God, who got up there before her? Now I can't remember. 
some person stood up there and just used up tons of this time talking about sucking up this time. I should look up who it was. Do you know who it was? That guy, a Republican got up there and read off this list of like why we can't offer family leave benefits to small businesses and how it would kill them, put a nail in their coffin, devastate them. And, and, you know, reading off this laundry list of like why we can't do this. And she's right there, you know, with her baby crying on the floor. And I just want, and then Lorena Gonzalez was really amazing. She, you know, she gets up at the end of it and they're like, okay, you can speak in favor. And, she goes, when you're voting, I want you to to answer this. Do you think a woman has the right to stay home with her child? And then you see like all these no votes light up on that board of like, okay, well, that's yeah. your vote. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. <sighs> uh, um, yeah, that is on Anthony Rendon and who covered himself in disgrace throughout yep. this evening between that and being the person who was suppo- supposed to marshal these votes through like to be the speaker and to lead to a situation where a bill is passed by both houses, but it still didn't become law because you just managed your time poorly. You should quit your job. You're bad at your job. It's your only job. And there Uh, were other, there were bills in the third bucket that also passed both houses, but also did not become law because of poor time management. Okay, so we're we're at midnight on on the thirty first. As as the assembly has been going up in flames, the the Senate was dealing with its own issues, specifically that the Senate Democrats had made a, a curious choice to to limit debate to two speakers apiece that was contested their ability or their yeah their ability to do that was contested by Senate Republicans ended up taking up something like an hour and a half of the evening at which point you kind of start thinking like damn just let people talk about this what the hell <laughs> um, so Senate ends up getting this that was an hour and a half maybe like in the late evening yeah. maybe around like 10 p.m. so you really eat up your ability to get anything meaningful done and then we're at the end of session and so what we end up with is policing getting fully shoved off of the table uh, we had Three big bills that were, I, I, I should, I guess, temper that a little bit. There were a lot of bills that were written around police reform in Sacramento this yep. year. Even though it was a shortened session, this was such a, this was an issue that was so prominent that there were a lot of bills that were proposed and most of them were killed early on. The most ambitious ones were killed early on. What we ended up with were three still important reform bills that would have made policing more directly accountable. I mean, it's it's the kind of thing where if you're marching in the streets, if you're saying defund the police, these are probably not going to satisfy that in any case, in any event. However, they did have, these bills did have the support of Black Lives Matter. They did have the support of folks like Malina Abdullah, who, who spoke after the fact and said kind of like, we thought that these kind of bills, we were being told by legislators that policing bills had more support this year because of the George Floyd killing, because of the mass popular support for reform, incredibly popular among California voters. But the 
California Democrats in particular ended up being pretty much chicken shit about it, which is not terribly surprising. California Republicans completely outflanked them. We can talk about that a bit more. But our three bills that we had were SB 731. This was a bill written by local legislator Stephen Bradford uh, in the Inglewood area. And this was basically creating a statewide licensure for cops and making it so that there was Mm -hmm. an ability to prevent cops who had been fired for misconduct from being able to bounce from one uh, department to another throughout the state, which is which is something that happens. It also, I believe, would have created a civilian, a stronger like civilian commission, including people who have been the victim of of police violence or the families of members of, of of people who have been victims of police violence that would have some say in extending the licensure for for, for police officers. Obviously, that was the number one that was the number one target for legislative lobbyists for law enforcement, law enforcement. They wanted that dead. They successfully got it delayed until such time as it could not be voted on. There was uh, a second bill, SB 7. Wait, I wanted to talk a little bit about 731. Yeah, Back and forth on that. It took a lot of assembly members to kind of say what their opinion was about it to the point that Kyle Kuzma, the Lakers player, got involved. He's not from California, but of course plays in California now. He's from Michigan. And he started addressing California state legislators by name, including Mike Gibson, a former cop who was an assembly member in South L.A. and who had been completely silent on this issue. And Kyle Kuzma is calling him out on Twitter and I'm sure destroying his mentions permanently. And then Mike Gibson had the sort of gall to come out and say, as the voice of the people in this district, right. I am with you. Or like, you, like join me in this effort like an hour before it's like now time to actually pass this thing. It's like, how are we going to join you? It's so late. Like, what can we, what can yeah. we do now? Because he is running against Fatima Iqbal Zubar, who has been very full-throated about this from the beginning. And so, like, I think it was pressure from her that finally made him cave on this much too late. But the fact that Kyle Kuzma got involved is uh, notable to me. So that was that was the number one bill that they were trying to get through. Well, again, I'm giving them too much credit, perhaps. SB 776, though, was another one that was by Nancy Skinner out of the uh, Bay Area. This would have increased what what police records are available for public disclosure, what what are required to be disclosed publicly. She had also authored the previous the previous bill that became, actually did become law in a previous session, which mm-hmm. opened up for the first time uh, a lot of these police records to to public inquiry. And then lastly, we had AB sixty six, which was from Lorena Gonzalez in the Assembly. And that was to limit when when tear gas and rubber bullets could be used for crowd control in the wake of, I mean, really high profile images of this, particularly when we're when we're talking about California, particularly in Los Angeles, the the use by LAPD of rubber bullets and tear gas, which, as my good friend Hayes pointed out, the mayor is in denial about the, the the fact that the LAPD uses tear gas, but they pretty clearly do. So AB 66 would have sought to stop 
the police stop mayors from using uh, chemical warfare against their own citizens, basically. And that also failed to get a floor vote. So this is... Meanwhile, through all of this, I want as this is happening, as the day is playing out and as they're delaying and delaying and delaying these votes. Yes. Through For much of that time, Dijon Kazee at 109th and Budlong in Westmont in South LA is dead. Has been shot by sheriff's deputies at least 18 times, we yep. now know, after they stopped him for God knows what. Uh, to, I mean, for no, uh, no good reason, just because they wanted to stop him. And saw that he was carrying a gun that he dropped and lit him up with 18 shots and left his body in the street for hours. Yep. And that is the kind of behavior that not only was the state legislator what was the state legislature signing off on they were uh, avoiding even voting on at all that's yeah. what's so disgraceful about it they won't even go on record about these things the cowardice is uh, just extraordinary and we did not get enough from even the people who like maybe would have voted yes on it had it actually come to a vote we did not get enough urgency from those people Saying like we really need to bring these with the with some few exceptions. Stephen Bradford was uh, great to put this forward. Nancy Skinner put so much great stuff forward, but there was this omerta on what was happening. Yeah, like we talk about gaslighting, but they're just letting the time tick by as if these really urgent, socially consequential things aren't on the table in their power to do something about right now, and they're just like walking up there one after another to talk about duplexes. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really ugly. It's the kind of thing where it almost feels. I mean, Hayes, like you said, the 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 rules are all fake to a certain extent and could be gotten around if there was will to do that. But the it, it's it's remarkable when you think that they could leave as much work undone and sort of just you know clock strikes midnight. Well. Time to go back to my district, kick up my heels. It's a job well done or whatever. This, it, it's, it's very, it speaks very poorly of a lot of people that we have entrusted an incredible amount of power uh, in and uh, uh, with. And I, I think that what to me is, is clear in the aftermath of the end of this session is the Democrats, despite holding an extreme extraordinary majority, just historically large majorities in, in both houses, were absolutely out-strategized by Senate Republicans who, I mean, Melissa Melendez, uh, Republican in the Senate, is a, like, dyed-in-the-wool Trump 2A, keep America great, et cetera, Blue Lives Matter person. And I have no doubt that her sole goal in coming into the night and that of her very small caucus is to prevent a vote from being taken on any of these policing bills, which are likely going to pass. And all that they have to do, because because both the Senate and the Assembly have managed their time so poorly, all they have to do is hold the line for a couple hours. And they did it extraordinarily successfully. Now, the speaker, our favorite friend, Mr. Speaker, 
said later that if, and he, this wasn't about the policing bills, but he was like, oh, if Tony Atkins wanted to move these up sooner, she could have done it. Why didn't she do that? Inferring in some way that they had control of it and not him. Do we believe that? I mean, when did it, no. it got to, I mean, they had multiple <laughs> days, like, like that's, I mean, and they needed literally two more minutes. So should she have moved it up like, like, like maybe 20 minutes earlier just to be safe? Or, like, or was, should any of them have said, hey, there's someone that just got killed right now in L.A. County. Should we move this up right now so we can vote on it? I mean, I if, if that's really a real thing that could have happened, I just I don't I don't believe it. I don't I don't believe that statement. I mean, then, you, you yeah. need you 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 need more than two minutes to make this night not a catastrophe. You need how problem. much? Well, okay, two minutes gets you the housing bills, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't clear. The oh no, but I was talking about yeah, Tony Atkins sending that bill over. Yes. It doesn't yeah, get yeah, you yeah. all. It doesn't get you all the other ones. Here's the real answer. It doesn't. Two minutes, like two hours. They did not want to pass these bills. No, they failed intentionally. They rolled over to police unions. Yeah. There was no amount of like, oh, if only we had more time. They ran out the clock on purpose. All of them. Every single one of them is complicit in it. And there's like, we're indulging this fiction by even in some ways talking about time mismanagement. This was intentional. They put up a bunch of fucking GOP bills that like the, for the minority party instead of yeah. doing these. They didn't want to. Yep. Speaking of which, since we tipped it and it happened today, we talked about it in our last episode and I, we'll talk about it more. I don't want to spend too much time on this. But what happened today in L.A. City Council is very similar to this and incredibly simple. Yeah, it's related. Yes, it is related. The the city council, Nuri Martinez and the, the the cover of darkness on Friday night announced that the city had gone over the fiscal cliff and was now in a state of fiscal emergency. And on Wednesday, they were going to declare that their buy their buyout program had not been a success. They needed to raise a bunch more money to like be able to stay solvent. And so they were going to vote on imposing furloughs for 15,000 plus city workers. Mike Bonin, council member, bless him, comes forward and says, hey, at the same time, you know, we are giving $123 million raise to the police, which would cover the difference that we're trying to make here. And yeah. then some. Yep. Could we possibly ask them, not even do it, ask them to come to the table and delay this raise, not even cancel the raise, delay the raise. Can we negotiate with them possibly to delay it? And what happened was he puts this forward. Councilmember Marquise Harris Dawson seconds it. And then there's a little bit of debate. There's some talk. Gil Cedillo talked about not wanting to, to maintain their relationships with public employee unions as they're telling the SEIU to go fuck themselves. Right. Every single right. member right. of these people is getting furloughed is an SEIU member. So who are you talking about? You're talking specifically about the police union. That's the relationship that you want to maintain. 
And it was voted down, just bringing the the Police Protective League, the union, to the table for a negotiation to delay the salaries was voted down 11 to 3. It was Bonin, Marquise Harris-Dawson, and Herb Wesson were the only three that voted in favor of this. And I'm sorry, it was 9 to 3 because Paul Koretz recused himself for reasons completely unknown. Because now the, the transparency law just passed, and so now they actually have to say why they're recusing themselves. But he decided just to just to do it in this case. And David Rue was absent on this day, the day that yeah. the city goes over a fiscal cliff, the day that you're voting on furloughing fifteen thousand workers, which you have said in public you are against. He didn't show up. So a lot of people got in his mentions. I don't know. I think a people city council or something organized this. There was a lot of like, hey, where were you today, David? Hey, like do you, any reason why you weren't in city council today to like vote on this really consequential thing? And then he was at a candidate forum debating Nithya Raman later that night. And they asked him about it because he would never have mentioned it otherwise. Yep. And he said that he had a doctor's appointment. And these are hard to schedule in COVID times. Yeah. So he scheduled it during one of the two times that he goes to work at a council meeting every week, apparently took up the entire session, this doctor's appointment. And when he could honestly have done it from his phone, he could have. Well, right. That, I mean, just to clarify, in case it wasn't clear, we don't have any rules for breastfeeding mothers or otherwise, and you um, can still zoom into city council chambers to vote <laughs> in the city of Los Angeles. So literally could have sat on, I, I don't know what kind of doctor, or what, what kind of doctor we guess. Hell, hell of a comparison, right? Hell of a contrast. <laughs> yeah. Buffy Wicks showing up to the Capitol with a month old newborn and David Rue hiding under his doctor's desk I don't know, t- tapping on the stethoscope or whatever, <laughs> making sure that nobody can hear the silence of, <laughs> of his non-vote. Uh, and then said, it's hard to get a doctor's appointment in COVID times, which I'm told is not true. In fact, it has essentially never been easier. <laughs> and I think the the medical industry is on the verge of collapse because of, uh, of of voluntary care like that, people not participating in. So seems like this incredibly consequential council meeting could have taken precedence over, over David Rue's doctor's appointment, but he decided not to show up because he did not want to go on record because he was scared. Also remember uh, that the, the next time that anybody in city government tells you anything about fiscal responsibility, that they literally affirmatively voted for fiscal emergency. They voted yes. for fiscal emergency over solving the fiscal emergency. That yes. was what they did. They voted for fiscal emergency and furloughs for 15,000 more vulnerable city workers than the then, much better paid LA right. police officers delaying their yes. raise. Oh, raise. Is that, is that fiscally responsible? We will, I guess, let you decide. They literally voted to fund the police. They voted. Continue funding yes. the police. The opposite of what they say that they're trying to do in reimagining public safety, whatever that means. We will be back to talk about this and so much more in uh, just a few days 
on a non-emergency episode of LA Podcast. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.